Praise God. Uh, lovely to see everyone wearing long sleeves and sweaters. Uh, maybe we should just continue to pray that the Lord keeps the cool weather. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to start sweating when I walk out this morning. Uh, but maybe if I go long enough, we never have to leave. So let's see what happens. Uh, really excited to be uh, here with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm really, really excited uh, to dive into the Word uh, this morning. We, for the past uh, six weeks, this is our sixth week uh, in Ephesians, uh, we've been really, exa- or longer than that, but in this series, we've been examining uh, this idea of new life on mission um, and what it means to uh, be a person that's on mission with Jesus. When Jesus makes us come alive, what do we look like? What do we do? Uh, what characteristics do we embody? How do we navigate uh, through life? And so this morning, uh, we are coming to an end with our series. So last week, we talked about this idea of walking wisely versus unwisely. And if you remember, walking wisely looks like walking with Jesus, uh, submitting every area of our life to his lordship. And then there's this idea that Paul begins to expound upon and saying, hey, there's a different way to walk where your walking partner isn't necessarily Jesus, it's actually the forces that oppose him. Uh, the, 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 the sinful flesh mechanism inside of us that, that give rise to all sorts of habits and lifestyles and practices uh, that aren't really how God has called us to live. Uh, the scripts that the world places before us that says, hey, you should look like this and live like this if you're going to be successful and accepted. Or even partnering with the enemy and his lies and walking in all sorts of disobedience. And so if last week we talked about walk, we're going to end this uh, series. In this last chapter, Paul begins to talk about another idea. He says, stand. Uh, stand and wage the good war of your faith. Uh, there's this cosmic unseen battle happening between, uh, in, the, in this sort of spiritual realm between the forces of good and evil. We know that this battle has already been one, yet there's still an enemy that opposes God. And the reality of this is that new life on mission, church, is a war. Uh, that living a life that's pleasing to the Lord, engaging in mission is not easy. You can say that. That's the truth. It's not easy. Uh, why? Because there's supernatural forces that wage war against the kingdom of God. And if there's not just supernatural forces, there's, there's desires and, and forces within ourselves that, that don't want to follow God sometimes, that don't want to live out the word. And so if it's not sort of this internal war within, there's a war out there. And it seems like if we're not ready, as Paul says, or if we're not prepared, uh, we can stifle or hinder our experience with God. And so praise God that uh, the life that he calls us to live He provides all of the power and resources needed to walk in victory. The life that God has called you to live, following Jesus, pursuing his will, all of the things that God has called you to live and walk out, he has already provided for you all of the power and all of the resources that you will need to walk in victory, resist evil, and advance his kingdom. Uh, The scriptures offer a vision for life where victory doesn't come from building up your own strength. Rather, it comes from communing with God and walking in union with 
Jesus. And with that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, Wherever you find yourself, uh, I invite you to stand and let's honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, with the remaining time we have together, uh, this is the, the big idea. Uh, power to overcome comes from our union in Christ and fully identifying with him. And if you're taking notes, power to overcome, power to resist temptation, power to overcome the dark forces of evil, power to walk in victory comes from our union in Christ and fully identifying with him. We have two points. First is God's armor. Second is God's power. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I'm so excited for this word because it's been so life-giving to me this week. I pray that you would come and breathe life in the same way, that as we look into your word and engage your word, I, I praise you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so I pray that you would come make a way as truth is revealed that makes us come alive this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to kind of work our way through the scripture, uh, highlight specific points, and then sort of wrap it up at the end as we talk about what does this have to do with us and and why does this matter. Uh, So the first point we're going to unpack is God's armor. Uh, When we look at verse 11, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God uh, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul says, if we're going into war, if we're in this cosmic battle with unseen supernatural forces, the physical stuff of life, our physical armor isn't going to do us any good. We need something supernatural. Uh, We need the power and provision of God at work in our life. And so he says, put on this armor. Now, the day and age that Paul finds himself in is that that he's in a a city of Ephesus that's Roman-occupied. And so traditionally, when you read this sort of scripture, you think to yourself, Roman armor. Paul is referring to Roman armor. That's where he's drawing his inspiration from. But actually, the primary context The primary reference that that Paul is uh, drawing from is not Roman armor. It's actually found in the Old Testament. Uh, In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah paints this picture of God as a divine warrior. As this warrior who conquers the enemies and fights on our behalf and comes and brings victory from evil. Uh, Let's look at the words of Isaiah in chapter 11, verse 4 through 5. The prophet Isaiah says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, 
and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Uh, again, in Isaiah fifty nine seventeen, this is what the prophet says. He puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Uh, He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So when Paul is describing this armor of God, his mind isn't going to this Roman general. Rather, his mind is going to God as the divine warrior outlined in the book of Isaiah. This is not Roman armor. This is the armor of the divine warrior, who Zephaniah says in chapter 317, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And so when we look at this armor, uh, traditionally sometimes, I don't know where your mind goes, my thing's like, oh, I got to put on a helmet. I got to put on a breastplate. And we kind of think about it as like individual items. Rather, these aren't necessarily items to put on. They're provisions to be made aware of. Rather, that the armor of God represent God's provision in our life for living a life of victory. And there's six different sort of weapons, six different items that, that, that are used to represent God's provision for battle. And we, sort of, we see these outlined in, in, uh, in, in uh, the bottom half of chapter 6. We see the belt of truth in Ephesians 6.14. Uh, we see the belt plate of righteousness and uh, continued in 14. In verse 15, we see the gospel shoes. Uh, verse 17, we see the helmet of salvation. We see the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And so what Paul is saying is that God has provided for us truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. God has provided for us these provisions that, that he is faithfully given us and has made available for us that when we embrace and that when we walk in, completely transform your walk with Jesus. Completely transform the degree of victory that you'll experience in your life. And so Paul is urging us to walk in this truth, this idea of like wearing them like they're a part of us. Uh, Wearing them, uh, if you want to experience the power that God has made available for us in waging war against the forces that oppose God. And so we're going to sort of break them down individually. We see this belt of truth. What does this mean? Well, this means knowing the truth of who we are in Christ. Knowing the truth of our new identity in Christ. That, that before you were following Jesus, before you were a Christian, you were not identified as righteous and holy and as the beloved son and daughter of God. Rather, you were identified in your sin. The scriptures call us aliens, orphans, lost, broken. And what's so tragic is that when we find ourselves in that place, Our pursuit of our identity is not found in Christ. It's found in creating one for ourselves. And so we begin to look for acceptance and we begin to look for identity and we begin to look for love and joy in a thousand different places in a thousand different spaces only to come up empty. But when the truth of the gospel comes and settles in our heart, the good news of the kingdom of God is that your identity, hear me church, has nothing to do with you. And it has everything to do with Jesus. And this is good news. This is really, really good news because you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to make yourself worthy. You don't have to make yourself lovable. 
You don't have to make yourself good. God fully accepts you because your life is now identified with Christ. The truth of who we are in Christ. And not only the truth of who we are in Christ, but practicing, uh, speaking, and living the truth of the word. The truth of the gospel. Which is the opposite of walking in lies and deception. Uh, Our lives are to be aligned with the truth of the gospel. Why? Because misaligned lives will hinder our relationship with God. And the reception of his divine power at work in our lives. When our lives aren't aligned with God, it will hinder our relationship with him. Uh, When our lives aren't aligned with living in joyful union with him, we'll be misaligned and we'll be hindered in our growth. And like any sort of, uh, any other relationship, whether it's like your friendships, your spouse, your work relationships, like misaligned expectations, like misaligned standards, never lead, lead to excellence, It never leads to sort of a quality of life and growth where it's like, man, you really got things going on. This is awesome. God has called us to align our lives with him. This looks like submitting our lives to his lordship and saying, Lord, I want to live according to your standards and not my own. And when we do that, as we've said before, that's actually the most liberating place we can be in because we're in the place that God has designed us to be in, to live as he has called us to live. Uh, The second thing that Paul references is the breastplate of righteousness. And the idea of righteousness here uh, is that we're supposed to have this idea rooted in our heart, and it's this, that you're completely forgiven of all of your sins because of the blood of Jesus. You are completely forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future, because of the blood of Jesus. Uh, What this means is that uh, you have inherited a new status. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. Uh, you no longer have a sin problem. You're a saint with a sin problem. You're no longer identified with the worst broken parts of yourself. Rather, you're identified by God as the righteousness of God. And this righteousness is not your own. It is his righteousness that he has died to place in you and on you. And Paul says, uh, reminds us to put on this breastplate of righteousness, to carry it and to be aware of it. Why? Because one of the names that we see for the devil in the scriptures is the accuser. And what this accuser wants to do is he wants to hinder our walk with God by calling into question our status before God is righteous. He wants to call into question our status as accepted and loved. Did God really say that he will accept you despite all that you've done? Did God really say that that you would be worthy of love despite uh, who you are? Like, like, think about yourself. Think about your, and so the enemy, the accuser, begins to accuse us on the basis of our sin, but Jesus justifies us on the basis of his righteousness. And so here's the good news, is that when the accuser is accusing us, sometimes he's right. There is that reality that I am broken, I am sinful, I have trespassed against God. But then the goodness of God comes in and says, look not to your sin, but to my righteousness and see how I've made you righteous and how you are loved and accepted and forgiven, not because of what you've done or who you are, but because of what I've done for you by entering into your mess and raising you to glory with me. 
says, put on this righteousness because you will enter into this world and feel the shame of your sin. And the enemy wants you to feel the shame of your sin and he wants you to feel the guilt of your decisions and he wants to really get in your mind and say you could have done this you should have done that what would like life look like if you didn't do that and jesus comes into your story and says you are fully accepted fully loved fully forgiven that he is the god who takes what the enemy meant for evil and he uses it for your good and his glory and so when we find ourselves in that place where the enemy is accusing us or we're accusing ourselves, there is this weapon that God has given us to place over ourselves called his righteousness that reminds us that we are completely forgiven, fully accepted, and fully loved. Not on the basis of our own work, but on this bloody work on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and him getting his identity inside of us. We inherit a new status. We're not sinner. We're saint when we become followers of Jesus. Walking in. So, so, so we're called to believe this righteousness. And here's what happens. When you believe this righteousness, this righteousness will get into your heart and come out through your life. And when it comes out of your life, it will always lead to a life of holiness. Uh, walking as the righteousness of God and pursuing the righteousness of God leads to a life of holiness. Uh, and this as an important weapon because when you're engaging in a life of holiness, you are by default rejecting the sinful patterns and demonic forces that aim at hindering your walk with God. Uh, when we embrace a life of holiness, when we put on Christ, by default we are putting to death sin in us. Uh, the third thing that Paul mentions is the gospel of peace. This is in um, chapter 6, verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Uh, this is amazing because there is good news, church. There is good news that peace with God is now possible through the shed blood of Jesus. Followers of Jesus should be ready to do what Jesus did, and that is share the good news that peace with God is possible because Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. And what's so incredible about this is that Paul is sort of outlining sort of this kind of grim, dark outlook on the world. Like there's dark spiritual forces and, and there's elements that oppose God and we're entering into a cosmic battle. And yet in, in the midst of all this warfare, he says, guess what? There's a message of peace. That in the midst of all this destruction and, and chaos and turmoil, there is a message of peace. And this is very important for us to remember because when we remind our hearts that there's a message of peace, we will remember that people are not the enemy. Church, people are not the enemy. It's not us versus them. That's not what Paul says. It, 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 it's not us versus people. Rather, it's us versus these spiritual forces that are keeping people in bondage to a sinful nature of the flesh, and to sinful ways of the world and the enemy. And this bondage has created separation from God. And anytime there's a gap between us and God, that gap is never filled with a good life. It's always filled with a destructive life. It's always filled with hurt and pain and turmoil. It's never filled with like a life of abundance and goodness and glory. Rather, it's filled with a life of destruction. Because when we're separated from 
God, we enter into a world of chaos. And so here's the good news of the gospel of peace. It is that in the kingdom of God, we can experience peace because Jesus has set us free from the bondage of sin. Jesus has shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. So listen, church, when we spread the good news, when we spread this gospel of peace, we're spreading a message that opposes the work of dark powers and forces that wage war against the kingdom of God. But when we share the good news, we are playing a critical part in seeing people get set free from the bondage of sin so that they can experience peace with Christ. You have enemies. Your enemies don't need to hear you critique them or criticize them. They need to hear the gospel of peace from you. You have forces in your life that oppose you. Those forces don't need to hear you shame them or exclude them. They need to hear the gospel of peace. Why? Because the gospel of peace is the only thing that can come set us free from the bondage of sin that creates enemies in the world. The gospel of peace. We are to speak this gospel, this good news in this realm of darkness so that those who are held captive by sin, by the evil one, can go free. A church, new life on mission, is partnering with Jesus, carrying this gospel of peace, and seeing the Holy Spirit come set people who are in bondage, in darkness, free to see the light of the goodness and glory of God. You get to do that, church. God invites you to stand with him. God invites you to be the minister of reconciliation, his ambassador. The fourth thing Paul says is the shield of faith. Um, Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Uh, I I love this verse from Psalm 1830 that helps sort of illustrate this. Uh, uh, This God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his way is perfect. Uh, The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Uh, faith is trust in God's power. Faith is allegiance to God. And, and what's so amazing is that our allegiance is to a God who protects his children. Uh, that our allegiance and our faith is in a God who cares for us and protects us. And so your greatest weapon in living a victorious life is found in belonging to God. Uh, that your greatest weapon, your greatest means to experiencing fruitfulness, victory, Power is belonging to God. Uh, The idea is that our faith connects us to a God who protects us. That faith connects us to a God who is for us. That through faith we enter into his presence and we grow in deeper intimacy with him. And so when we think about this, this doesn't mean, if we're honest, this doesn't mean much for us. we don't sort of think about life in terms of carrying shields and uh, repelling darts from the enemy. But this really meant something to the Ephesians. This, this, this actually meant a lot to them. Because where we find the people in Ephesus is, is that they're coming out of a lifestyle of practicing magic and adultery. Ephesus was the magic capital of this known world. And everyone went to Ephesus to, to practice whatever dark spiritual magic practices you wanted. 
the, the chief temple there was Artemis. And Artemis was this divine goddess who was thought to be the goddess of nature and, and, and the provider of wild game. And so she was the, the, the one that they erected and worshipped there. But there were tons of other ones. And it was just so common. It was the common practice to, to give into this lifestyle. And, and, and when Paul says that there's this shield of faith that you carry that repelled the darts of the enemy, this really meant something for them. Um, and, and the reason why is because one of the common held ideas in this day and age is that if you turned away from worshiping your idol and turned away to another or to the one true God, then that idol would attack you. Uh, that idol would actually conjure up spirits that would come hinder your life that would ruin your life, that would diminish the quality of your life. And so when Paul is speaking this word to these people, there's this real barrier in their mind. I can't come to Jesus. I can't forsake my idol. I can't forsake Artemis. I can't forsake this life because if I do, I will bring doom to my family. I will bring destruction to my household. I will be cursed. I will be inflicted with all sorts of problems. And yet what Paul is saying is that when you turn to Jesus and you place your faith in him, that he actually has this shield that can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. That when you actually turn to God, that he is this great refuge and protector, that he actually thwarts the plans of the enemy might have towards you. Artemis, this, this uh, goddess of nature, uh, there's these ancient inscriptions that say she was the shooter of arrows. And it was this common idea that, that she was good with wielding bows and arrows for hunting. And Paul says she can shoot an arrow and it can be on fire, but God will extinguish it with, her, with his shield of faith. That, that when you actually turn away from whatever lifestyle you're in and you, feel, and you fear repercussions, you fear damage, you fear loss, the scriptures say that we turn to a God who is our refuge and protector, that, that he will actually sustain us and keep us. Uh, The good news of the kingdom of God is that we don't need to fear that any arrow or any attack directed towards God and his people will not prevail because God is big enough and powerful enough to quench any flaming throw arrow of the enemy. So hear me, church. Here's what this means for us. When you turn away from sin, when you turn away from a lifestyle that you've just been engulfing yourself in, and you feel like there would be negative consequences if you turn away. You feel like you'll experience great loss. You feel like great problems will come if you confess this to God and confess this to a brother and sister. You feel like your life will fall apart. The scripture, the word of God reminds you that God is much bigger than that. And that when you turn to God, he is your refuge. He is your shield of protection. And so when we turn away from whatever sin or lifestyle we're giving ourselves over to, and we fear the negative repercussions, we turn to a God who protects us and lifts us up and makes all things new. You can have this assurance. You can have this truth settled in your heart because you've been saved and delivered from sin. We've been delivered from the dominion of sinful powers. We've been transferred to the kingdom of God. And for this reason, Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, When you are saved by God, you are made alive with Christ. 
Uh, you are resurrected with him. Uh, you are delivered from sin through him. And so salvation is important for walking in a life of victory, for resisting temptation, for resisting the enemy, because salvation means that not only are we saved by God, but we belong to God. And here's the good news, is that God owns us. God owns you. God owns me. And the scripture says that we're his treasured possession. And that which he treasures, he protects That which you treasure, you protect. And God says you are his treasured possession. And he will protect you. He will sustain you. He will keep you. Why? Because he saved you and you belong to him. Putting on the helmet of salvation means that we remind our heart, soul, and mind that we've been saved by God and that we belong to him. The opposite of belonging is not being saved lost its bondage and that which we are in bondage to does not protect it destroys and the good news of the kingdom of God is that he comes and from love and for love saves us rescues us redeems us does not leave us makes us his treasured possession and he will never forsake us he will keep us lastly the sword of the spirit so take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Paul is urging the believers to know and make use of the scriptures as a means of defense against every spiritual attack. Uh, This is the only offensive weapon, if you may. Uh, All of them are defensive. Paul says this word is your, this word is a sword used to combat the enemy, to resist temptation, to declare victory over your life, to remind ourselves of who God is and all that we're becoming in him. And so why the scriptures? Why the word of God? Well, the scriptures are breathed by God. In other words, uh, these words have come from God himself. Uh, And Jesus, when we see his life in ministry, he responds to Satan by knowing and speaking relevant scripture during his time of temptation in the wilderness. And what Jesus shows us is that when the God-man, Jesus himself, uses the word of God to resist temptation and resist the influence of the enemy, then we need it all the more. A thorough knowledge of the scripture plus a careful consideration of its relevance for every aspect of life. We need, if we're going to stand against the temptations that are brought forth by the flesh, by the world, and by the enemy. And so it says, take the sword. Take it. Take this sword. Take this word Feast on it, read it, enjoy it, live in it, live it out. And the more you do so, the more you begin to see how sweet it really is and how alive it can be in our life. The psalmist declares, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I I love what Kent Hughes says, one of my favorite scholars. He says, how does this work? Uh, God's, how does this work where we hide God's word in our heart? He says, God's word reveals God's mind. And God's mind cannot be subject to sin. Therefore, if we fill our heart with his word, sin and temptation cannot dominate us. I want to read that again. God's word reveals God's mind. God's mind cannot be subject to sin. 
Therefore, if we fill our heart with his word, sin and temptation cannot dominate us. So we have these six items, this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, this gospel of peace, this shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. But what do we do with this? Why does this matter? How do we enter into the everyday stuff of life as we parent, as we go to work, as we go to community group, as we walk through the store? What does this mean for us? Because if we're honest with ourselves and we take a moment to consider how we follow Jesus, many of us in this room, myself included, would say that more often than not, when we are following Jesus, we are not taking this thought into consideration. Let me put on the armor of God. Let me remind myself of truth. Let me remind myself of righteousness. Let me remind myself of this gospel of peace. Let me hold firm to this salvation. Let me take up faith and meditate and feast on the word. If we're honest with ourselves, instead of following Jesus and relying on his power and his armor, we step into life wearing our own armor, not his. Uh, We rely on our own power rather than relying on God's power. We follow Jesus, but we either wear partial armor or we're uh, wearing our own armor. We say stuff like we rely on our intellect. We rely on our knowledge. We rely on our uh, intellectual capabilities about how much we know about God and and where the books of the Bible are. And we can give history and references. Uh, We rely on how we pride ourselves and knowledge of the scriptures and current events and how well we can pray out loud. And instead of relying on God, we subtly rely on ourselves. And when something goes wrong, when all of life is falling apart, when ends aren't being met, and we find ourselves in these critical positions, we are experts at troubleshooting our own lives. We're experts at relying on our own strength and our own power to figure life out rather than coming to the author of life, God himself. And if the temptation isn't to wear your own armor, or to neglect it, then it's the word none at all. To completely reject the work of Christ in your life, or worse yet, to claim Christ but with your mouth, but reject him with your life. And for this reason, Paul ends this book, six chapters, in verse 10, by saying, finally, finally be strong. Not in yourself, not in your intellect, not in your years of walking with God, not in how good you think you are. No, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And Paul knew that the temptation that we would face is that as we enter into life, that we would hear all of the good news of who Jesus is and all that he's provided for us and close this word and be like, cool, I got it, and completely live a life trying to follow him without his power. And Paul says, before you forget, finally, be strong, not in your own power, but his strength, his might. 
Be strong in a power that is outside of us. In other words, the only place that true strength is gained is in the Lord. Not strength that is found in how much Bible you know or how well you pray or how well attended you are. Rather, strength that comes from being in union with Jesus. The power of sin, the plans of the enemy are resisted not through our own strength, not through our own abilities to figure life out, Not with our own Google searches, but the strength that is found in the Lord. Why? Jesus has defeated the devil. Jesus has defeated the power of sin. Jesus has died for the penalty of sin. Death has no more strength. Therefore, be strong in his strength. Be strong in his power. Be strong in his victory. Be strong in his life. Hear me, church. Strength is found in the whole person of Christ. The good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus is the whole armor of God. Jesus is the whole armor of God. Jesus brings a gospel of peace that terminates the hostility we feel within ourselves and towards others. So now we can experience peace with God that makes us whole. Jesus, the belt that holds everything together, Jesus is the belt of truth, the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is the way and the truth that holds all life together. The helmet of salvation, the God-man who has come to seek and save the lost, bore the the crown of thorns so that you and I could wear the helmet of salvation. Jesus, the God-man who knew the past, present, and future sins, yet died for us, for our sins, so that we can be completely forgiven, regardless of our status, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our religious history. Jesus is the shield of faith. He shows us that loving him is far better than any temptation this world has to offer. And he is the good shepherd who protects his flock. Jesus is the divine warrior who, uh, who carried the sword of the spirit, who spoke the word against the enemy. Jesus is the word that dwells among us. Jesus, the breastplate of righteousness, this sort of uh, uh, fashion piece that protects our heart. Jesus is the righteousness of God. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God. For your sake, church, he made Him who knew no sin become sin so that you could become the righteousness of God, so that you could become fully accepted, fully loved, fully identified, not with your sin, but with his righteousness. We are fully accepted because the righteous one has made us right with God. Jesus is the whole armor of God. So when we submit our lives to his lordship, we put on Christ. We put on the whole armor of God. You walk into this week not thinking, what piece am I missing? Rather, you do one thing, and that is the thing that he's called us to do as a disciple. Submit the whole of our lives 
to the whole person of Christ. And as we submit the whole of our lives to his lordship, he covers us with the whole of his armor. Jesus is the whole armor of God. When we submit our lives to his lordship, we put on Christ. We put on the whole armor of God. So as we close in prayer, let us take a moment to consider whose armor we're wearing. Is it a partial armor, kind of half in, half out with Jesus? Is it no armor at all? Or is it fully identifying with Christ and submitting every area of our life to his lordship? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I praise you. I worship you, Father, for being the good Father the, 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 that sent the Son, who sent the Spirit to dwell in our hearts and testify in this moment that we are sons and daughters of the Most High when we commit our faith to you. And Lord, in this moment, as we take into consideration the lives that we lead and maybe even take into consideration the degree of victory that we're walking into, would you illuminate parts of our hearts that aren't fully submitted to you? Would you reveal areas where uh, we've been walking in our own strength, relying on our own ability, relying on our own power, instead of fully trusting you? the Lord has made you aware of an area of your life that isn't fully submitted to him, maybe an area of your life that you need victory in. Would you ask the Lord to empower you with his strength? Would you ask the Lord to fill you with the strength of his might? In your own words, would you, would you repent and say, Lord, I want to turn away from this and turn to you as I submit my life to your rule and reign. Lord, I praise you that you are the God who receives us when we turn to you. Lord, I praise you that you're uh, the good father who welcomes us when we come back home. Lord, I praise you that you're the God who lifts us up when we are weak, fallen, and broken. I praise you, God, that you are not finished with us. And so, Lord, in this moment, would you fill us afresh with your strength and your power? Would you continue to convict our hearts to submit to your power, to your lordship, to your ways instead of our own? Would you bring to remembrance the goodness of your truth, righteousness, the goodness of your gospel, the joy of salvation, the faith you've made available, and the word that you've given us. Would you allow us to walk in these provisions? Lord, I praise you for being the good God who has saved us, restored us, renewed us. You are making us more like you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.